Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of the Revelation, chapter 21, and we're going to start out today in a few minutes with verses 1 through 4. Well, let's suppose this. Suppose God took you on a trip into your future and you saw beyond any doubt the certainty that despite everything in your life, your sin, your smallness, your stupidity, if you will, despite all of that, you could have free for the asking your heart's deepest desire, and that is heaven and eternal joy. The question is, would you not return back to this life absolutely fearless? Would you not return back to this life with a a tremendous desire to serve God and a fearless desire to serve Him? What can earth do to you or take from you if you're guaranteed heaven? To fear the worst earthly loss would be like a billionaire fearing the loss of a penny or even worse than that, a scratch on a penny. Today is the last of our Heaven is for Real series. And we have come to the end, and we're looking at the eternal day. This morning, we're going to focus on the everlasting of everlasting life. The assurance of our future gives us perspective on the problems of our lives. However, before we get there and read our text, there's something that must be cared for. Something that, to be honest with you, hurts to even think about. This is something that we really have a hard time considering. And it is the second judgment. We've already talked about the judgment seat of Christ and how that it provides reward. But the second judgment is not about reward at all. It's a punishment judgment. And we've got to deal with that before we can get to heaven's eternal day. We're talking about the great white throne judgment. Sometimes I get my words mixed up. And uh, it's not that big a deal if you get things mixed up. Last Sunday I uh, came at the wrong place to do the opening prayer. And I found myself standing right here for about three minutes while uh, more singing was done. I tried to look confident and that I knew what I was doing and that I intended to be here and was very pensive and made you feel like, wow, he really has placed himself strategically this morning. But what I was really doing was thinking, well, when are they going to finish so that I can, uh, so that I can pray. Sometimes we get things mixed up and that's okay. It's not that big a deal. I have mixed up things in preaching. I have preached and made a wrong reference. For instance, I don't know a preacher who hasn't put Moses in the ark. Uh, And if you didn't laugh at that, you really need to read your Bible more. There have been more times than once that I have given the Apostle Paul something that belonged to Simon Peter. I've given to Simon Peter something that belonged to the Apostle Paul. Once I was sitting beside O.S. Hawkins, 
in a meeting in a very large auditorium. O.S. Hawkins, if uh, you know much about Southern Baptist life, O.S. is legendary. He's also an absolute mess. And I was sitting next to O.S. Hawkins, and uh, Dr. Jerry Vines was preaching. And Jerry uh, made what I will understate and say was a colossal pulpit blunder. I don't mean it was a little mistake. I mean it was colossal. And the whole crowd was too polite to recognize that he had done so, but everybody in the room knew that he had done so. And everybody was way too kind to laugh except for O.S. Hawkins. And O.S. Hawkins screamed out loud, laughing. And I thought, O.S., please shut up. And he wouldn't. And I started elbowing him, and I said, O.S., you've got to get in control of yourself. And he said, I can't. And so he continued to laugh. Well, we've all had mistakes like that. I've had some pulpit blunders. I've had some blunders that I cannot tell you. Uh, I have some blunders that I cannot write in a book because if I wrote them in a book, you would say, I can't believe he wrote that in a book. I have had some tremendous, tremendous blunders. One thing that you don't want to get mixed up is the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment, two completely different judgments, and the difference is eternal. Before we get to heaven's final scene, I want us to at least acknowledge this ominous judgment of the judgment seat of Christ. There are three things to consider in this judgment, and they're given in the first two verses of Revelation uh, chapter, or or in these two verses of Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. Then I saw a, a great white throne in him who was seated on it, and from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Now there are three things that you can see in those two verses about this great white throne judgment. First of all, it is an unbiased judgment. At this point in the uh, future, all the righteous are with God. Everyone who has any claim to Christ's righteousness is with God. That includes the Old Testament saints who were saved based on their faith looking to the cross. That includes the New Testament saints who uh, during the time of the cross and those of us who now look back on the cross and that includes the tribulation saints those who are saved during the tribulation because of the cross everyone who is considered in the redeemed are with God at the time of this great white throne judgment this is an unbiased judgment and it is a judgment of only the unsaved What verse 11 is referencing is the number who have not been redeemed. This is everyone who was never saved at any uh, age uh, of the life, of of life or or the existence of the earth. It will not matter what their state in life was. They'll be judged on the judgment day by the same judgment, the small and the great. Those who uh, were very powerful and those who had no power at all yet still Uh, are at this judgment, it will be an unbiased judgment. Here's another thing about the judgment. It is an unambiguous judgment. Uh, Looking at the latter part of verse 12, then another book was opened, which is the book of life, 
and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life. Now, this judgment, the text says, is in accordance to what they had done. Now, what does that mean? Had it been robbers and, and had they been thieves? Had they been murderers? Had they been <clears throat> rapists? Uh, um, what had they, they been? The phrase is actually repeated twice, according to what they had done. Now, in both verse 12 and 15, there's the reference to the book of life. In fact, the Bible has eight different references to the book of life, which makes me believe that the great white throne judgment is about what the dead have done with the book of life. There is in heaven a book of life. Listen to me carefully. You want your name written in the book of life. You don't want your name missing from the book of life because this judgment is about what has happened to the people in regard to what they have done with the book of life. And let me give you a couple of views on that. There are more than one view. First of all, there is this view. The view that when we are born, our names are recorded in the book of life. There is that view that we are all recorded in the book of life. And then when a person dies, his or her name is removed from the book of life unless they have, according to John, uh, 1 John 3.14, passed from death unto life. Now, if they have passed from death unto life, then when they go through physical death, it's really not the eternal death that the Bible speaks of. So there is that view that everybody, when they're born, is put into the book of life, and when they die they are taken from the book of life unless they were born again because they did not, uh, only their physical body dies and their spirit is absent from the body and <clears throat> present with the Lord. There is that view. I don't know whether that's the view or not. Uh, and, and we should remember this, that the physical death, of course, is just a transfer of residence. My friend that we prayed for last week, um, and uh, Ron Bishop, <clears throat> Ron Bishop passed uh, from this life to the next on Monday at about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. He moved from this life to the next. Now, what about his body? Well, his body stayed here. But that which was Ron and that who was Ron <clears throat> moved on into the presence of the Lord to be absent from the body, to be in the presence of the Lord. And the reason is because Ron had a testimony that his name was written in <clears throat> the book of life. Ron was saved. He was a born-again believer. So there is that belief that everybody gets the, their names written <clears throat> in the book of life when they're born, and it's only removed if you die without Christ and truly die. Here's the other view, and that is that the book is a, a record of the saved, and there is some support for that understanding as well given in Revelation 17, 8, <clears throat> that it, the book of life is only a a book recording those people who are uh, saved, those people who are in the family of God, who are born into the family of God, and there's support for that. And, and let me say this, that I don't know which one is correct. 
And, and regardless of which one is correct, or if there's another understanding that none of us have considered, the unsaved are not found in the book of, of life. And when the unsaved are not found in the book of life, that's the most serious thing of all. Because you will be judged on what you have done with the book of life. So the question then for you is, what have you done with the book of life? It's a very serious question. Because that judgment is an unbiased judgment. It doesn't matter who you are, how many times you've gone to church, what a good person you are, anything. If you've not done the right thing with the book of life, then you are in the great white throne judgment, and that's not the judgment you want to be in. It's an unambiguous judgment. And let me just say this to you. It's an unending judgment. The the great white throne judgment is a horrible, horrible judgment. Now, for a guy preaching a series on heaven, I certainly don't like to talk about this aspect of eternity. But it must be discussed because it's just as sure as heaven is for real, hell is for real. Here's what Revelation 20 and verse 14 says. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now just as heaven is forever, so is hell forever. Pastor Ray, how can that be? I don't know. And I will tell you this, that when I was an eight-year-old boy, I determined that I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know how somebody could be in torments in hell for an eternity. I just didn't want to know that. There was nothing in this life that would cause me to risk not going to heaven. I didn't want to know about hell. Had no desire to know about hell. So when I was an eight-year-old boy, I got saved. Now, some people come to that place at different times of life. But I want you to understand something. The Bible that makes heaven real makes hell real as well. And it's an unending lake of fire. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 43, Jesus referred to it this way. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to end life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 48, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, I don't understand any of this. And I don't have to understand any of it. And I don't want to understand any of it. I know that I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I know that based on my faith in Jesus Christ, that my name is written in the book of life. Now, here's the question for you. Do you know that your name is written in the book of life? Well, I sure hope that it is. Well, I can appreciate your hope, but I've got to tell you something. As ominous as the great white throne judgment is, and as horrible as as life after this life is if you're not saved, you don't want to hope on something like that. And today, at the close of this service, we're going to give an invitation, and I want to invite you. If you say, I don't know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven at the end of this life. I don't know for sure that my name is written in the book of life. 
I don't know for sure that I will avoid this great white throne judgment. Then listen very carefully to me. It is a simple matter of faith. You can respond at invitation time, and by faith, you can pray simply to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And listen carefully to me, please. <clears throat> your name will be guaranteed in the book of life. Does that sound good to everybody? Amen. <clears throat> it does. And if that's what you want, then I plead with you to get that settled on this very day. So, in dealing with this matter of being finally home, we've now dealt with <clears throat> the white throne judgment. Let's talk about the new heaven and the new earth. Do you remember this verse that promises us that upon our being saved, old things would pass away and all things would become new? It's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Life is new when the lost come to Christ. Not only is life new, but eternity is new as well. Revelation 21 and verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now let's break that down and take a look at this new heaven and new earth. First of all, let's see it as a new nation. We will live in a new environment. Now not much is said about the new heaven and new earth, but there is mention of one thing that I think is rather unique and that is that there is no more sea. Now, I find that to be an interesting thing. We were discussing before the services uh, about <clears throat> the, the ocean and, and how some people love the beach and some people uh, do not really love the beach. And I'm not really a beach guy, just to be uh, real honest with you. I don't, I don't hate it, but, but I'm not really a beach guy. And, and I think that it has something to do with my OCD I don't think that I can stand for those a few little grains of sand to get caught between my toes and I'm not able to then get it out the rest of the day. I'm working to get it out the rest of the day and so I think that, that that's it. I don't know. It may be <clears throat> something else. But some people really, really love uh, the ocean or the coast. Many of you do. Many of you like to go uh, to the ocean. Now, the Bible says, and I'm sorry to tell you this, but the Bible says that in heaven there is no more sea. So it could be that my understanding of what enjoyment is is closer to right than what your understanding <laughs> of what enjoyment is. But that's when we get to heaven we'll find out. Most of the surface of the earth today is covered by water. <clears throat> but not so in the new heaven and the new earth. Now there is water there. And in a moment we're going to read about the river of life. But <clears throat> whatever negatives there are regarding water, sharks, stingrays, seaweed wrapping around your ankle, making you think that something has gotten you. <clears throat> Whatever it is, it's no longer an issue in the eternal home. There is a new nation, and we don't know a lot about it, but the new heaven and new earth is going to be really, really cool. But not only is there a new nation, <clears throat> there is a new neighbor. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place, <clears throat> place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself <clears throat> excuse me, will be with them as their God. Now let me just pause a moment and say this. That is almost too much to take in. We will be living 
with God. <laughs> Think of that. We will be living with God. <clears throat> well, I've, we've got some great songs, and Larry's going to sing one in a moment at the close of the service, and it's going to be wonderful. And we talk about all the things that we want to see in heaven, <clears throat> and that's a blessing and a joy. And some people say, well, I want to see uh, this person in heaven. And somebody say, well, I want to see the Apostle Paul. And, and you'll get to see, you get to see the Apostle Paul. You'll get to see Billy Sunday. You'll get to see D.L. Moody. You'll get to see all these, these great saints of, of the Bible. You'll, you'll, get to see, uh, you'll get to see Mary and Martha. And you'll get to see all of these. But, but I've, I've got to put something in perspective uh, for you. We will be living with God. Think of that. <clears throat> Think of that. There will be an intimacy, a familiarity that we've never been able to achieve in this life, but in the new heaven and the new earth, God will be our neighbor. Now see, when you sing that song at the close of the service, Larry, I want you to put yourself in this setting right here. God will be our neighbor. It, it really is an example of old things passing away and all things becoming new. Besides the new nation and the new neighbor, there's a new nature. We're different. We are different. <clears throat> Revelation 21.4 He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Now I don't know everything about this verse. <clears throat> we suggested a couple of weeks ago that <clears throat> there may be a certain sadness that we're not able to have more crowns to lay at Jesus' feet. And we acknowledged that there will be a time when all tears will be wiped away, but it's after that crowning day, and it's at the beginning of the eternal day. And I have felt that the past, and still have some feelings, that it's possible that we may have some sort of, of a regret during the millennium, or certainly during the time of laying crowns at Jesus' feet, and, and I feel pretty confident that we will wish we could have given him more because in his presence we will say, oh, my soul, look at who I'm standing before. And we will wish we could give him, had given him more. However, <clears throat> that being said, in this same verse, there is the end of death and pain. And we know that for the saved in eternity, there is no death and there is no pain. And it's in the same verse that all is, is taken away. Now, which is it? Well, you know me. I am not one that will try to figure out something that I, is not clearly given in Scripture and I don't understand. And so I'll just say this. It's probably best to understand this as a visual of the drastic contrast between life in the new heaven and new earth versus life in this, heaven, in this earth. There is sorrow. There is pain. There is crying. 
we have a former member, Sid Winchester. Sid is battling cancer. He's battling it hard, having to take double chemo treatments. And he's got the last one coming up soon. I talked to his son-in-law last night. In the new heaven and new earth, there'll be no chemo. Be no need for that. In the new heaven and new earth, there'll be no respirators. In the new heaven and new earth, there'll be no tissue boxes scattered around for when you cry. There's a new heaven and a new earth. Warren Wearsby makes an interesting comparison between the heaven and earth of Genesis and the new heaven and the new earth of the Revelation. In Genesis, heaven and earth was created in Genesis 1-1. In Revelation, there's a new heaven and new earth, Revelation 21-1. In Genesis, the sun was created in 1-16. In the Revelation, there's no need for the sun in 21-33. In Genesis creation, the night was established in chapter 1, verse 5. In the Revelation, the new heaven and new earth, there is no night, <clears throat> Revelation 22, 5. In Genesis, the seas were created in 1.10. In the Revelation, there's no more sea, 21.1. In Genesis, the curse is announced in, in chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. In Revelation, <clears throat> there is no more curse, Revelation 22.3. In Genesis, death enters history in chapter 3, verse 19. In the Revelation, there's no more death, Revelation 21.4. In Genesis, man is driven from the tree in Revelation 3.24. In, Revelation, uh, in, in Genesis 3.24, in Revelation 22.14, man is restored to paradise. And in Genesis, there's sorrow and pain that begins in 3.17. And in Revelation 21.4, our text, there's no more tears and no more pain. There is a big, big difference between the old heaven and the new heaven, the old earth and the new earth. A huge difference. In verse 2, <clears throat> there was mention of the holy city. And for lack of a better understanding, I call it the capital of heaven. Revelation 21, 2, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What about this holy city? What is it really like? Well, the glory of God has appeared in different places throughout history. God's glory dwelt in the tabernacle, in the temple. Today his glory dwells in the believers and in the church. For all eternity the glory of God will be seen in his holy city. It will be the, the new capital of the new heaven, the new earth. And besides being the dwelling place of the glory of God, there are two outstanding aspects about the holy city, the new Jerusalem, that we should understand. First of all, it is the bride. Wait a minute. It's the what? It's the bride. Look at Revelation 21.9. Then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. 
And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. We have now, as the bride of Christ, transformed from the church to becoming the holy city. We are the indwelling, we're the dwelling place of God now, and there will be a day where we, as the bride of Christ, will be the holy city. John saw that the holy city was his bride. This is further confirmation that we're going to live forever with the Lord God of heaven. There are no cabins in the corner of glory land. There is a holy city, and in it is a place being prepared for us. And we will dwell in that place, and we will be in that place forever and forever and forever. And God will be our neighbor in the midst of us. Doesn't that just a little bit turn your mew loose in the corn crib? Just a little bit? Think about it. There are no cabins there. There are mansions there. That's the second aspect to consider the holy city. Not only the bride, but the beauty. As we read these next few verses, I want you to think of that great song, I Can Only Imagine. You've heard it. Just about every funeral service now has it. Surrounded by his glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of it be still? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? Think about that. Here's the description of the holy city. Verse 11, having the glory of God, its radiance like a a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a high wall with 12 gates, And at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. You might live in a gated neighborhood, but I want to tell you something. There's coming a day when we're going to live in a gated city, the holy city. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. On the west, three gates. And... The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Wow. (laughs) Oh, I wish I could paint that picture for you. I wish I could get you to appreciate that this is the promise to every born-again believer. Everybody whose name is written in the book of life has the promise of this holy city. Finally, after the white throne judgment and the new heaven and the new earth and the holy city, we come to what is the last point of this series, and that is the river of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal. Now there's the water in heaven. This is the last thing that we're going to see is the river of life. It's the river that feeds heaven. Let's talk about the source first of all. Where does this river 
start from. I'm going to give you a little background on some bottled water right now. <clears throat> you know that <clears throat> bottled water is all about the source, <clears throat> wherever you get it. Some of the bottled water, you can look at it on the back, and it says from such and such municipality. That means that's tap water <clears throat> in there. But not all of it is tap water. Uh, I don't know. I think Zephyr Hills is real spring water. I'm not sure. I know that for years I had a, I had a sister, sister-in-law. Her name was Phyllis. And, and, I, and I was messed up for years looking at that. And I, for, I honestly and truly thought you pronounced that Zephyrilis. And uh, <clears throat> I honestly did until one day I looked at it and said, oh, gee, that's Zephyr Hills. And uh, <clears throat> Evian natural spring water begins as water that emerges from the source in France in a mountain tunnel at 52.88 degrees Fahrenheit. The source is fed from melted snow and rain that filters through the glacial sand over a period of 15 years, and then it becomes Evian bottled water. Fiji natural artesian water is the number one imported bottled water in the United States. As part of the strict content, no human... uh, quality uh, controls. No human hands are allowed to touch Fiji water. Perfectly protected from the outside air and external elements, Fiji water is untouched until you unscrew the cap. Fiji water. San Pellegrino water. That's Larry's water of choice. San Pellegrino. The spring of San Pellegrino is sequestered in the mountains of North Milan, Italy and was made famous by quenching the thirst of Leonardo da Vinci. There it is. He firmly believed in the water's curative power. San Pellegrino's sources are three deep springs, Larry Springs. Larry couldn't have one. He had to have three. They emerged from the ground at 69.8 degrees Fahrenheit. And the water comes from an aquifer 1,300 feet below the surface where limestone and volcanic rock impart unique minerals and trace elements. That is Pellegrino water. And then in 1871, there was a water called Mountain Valley Spring Water that has been praised by Hollywood stars and world-class athletes and U.S. presidents. It's bottled in Arkansas. And it has unique mineral composition, supposed to alleviate chronic disorders. Elvis Presley used to drink it. But before he would drink it, he would get it all shook up. John Lennon would drink it because there was something in the way it moved him. And uh, Joe Lewis was a firm believer. Thirteen U.S. presidents. Well, I give you all of that because water is all about the source. It's all about where it comes from. In heaven, there's a river of life. Well, now, where does it come from? 
from 1,300 feet under the ground and filtered through volcanic ash and limestone? Well, verse 1 says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. Interesting. Fruit of the month club. And 12 months, who knew? The leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. I can't even picture this in my mind. The purity is so pure. The sustaining power of the water is so indescribable, but it will be ours in heaven. The rivers of of life, all that grows along with it from the tree of life, it's going to come to us, and it comes from the source, the throne of God. We see also in this passage the sanctity. Verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. The curse is gone. So there's no more aches and pains, no more colds, no flu, no sinus problem, no allergies, no allergies, no allergies. (laughs) The flowers and the trees and the grasses will produce healing pollens, not hacking pollen. There will be a day when you are with me in heaven and I am with you in heaven and we will talk and I will carry on a conversation with you for weeks and months and years and never clear my throat one time. (laughs) Not once. Say, Pastor Ray, what's wrong with you? A lot of you, and I appreciate it, you've given me ideas. Have you ever tried this? Have you ever tried that? I'm now based on the recommendation of Sybil Newton. I don't see her in here today. I'm now taking local honey and cinnamon mixed together. And thus far, it's worse. (laughs) But there's coming a day in heaven when there'll be no more hacking, no more throat clearing, and we can all sing. There's coming that day. Well, there's only one more thing I guess we need. You got heaven, you got the source and of the river of life, and you got the sanctity of the life. All that's left is the sun. And he's there. Revelation twenty two five. And night will be no more. <clears throat> and they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and forever. And just think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven of touching a hand and finding it God's 
of breathing new air and finding it celestial, of waking up in glory. One day will be my last day with you and the last day on this earth. When I was eight years old, indelibly written in the Lamb's Book of Life was my name. And so understand this, please, that I have awakened in glory and I'm finally You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church, 3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida, 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.